All right, shifting gears, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to uh, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And how you find Jeremiah is you open your Bible up about halfway, uh, and you'll probably come to Isaiah, and uh, Jeremiah is right after Isaiah. Uh, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Last week, uh, we began a conversation, a new sermon series, uh, talking about what does it mean to be waiting for Christmas. And of course, as we are waiting for Christmas in a very literal sense, counting down the days on the calendar, we are also spiritually waiting for Christmas. We're waiting for Jesus to show up in our lives, to come again, to heal us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to move into those dark places in our lives. And so each week, we are looking at uh, a different uh, writer in the Old Testament and uh, why do we pay attention to the Old Testament? Sometimes people will ask me. Well, because Jesus did. Jesus referenced the Old Testament time and time again. So, uh, Jamie, can you put up the next slide there for us? So 96 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is looking back and quoting someone from the Old Testament. The Gospel of Mark, 34, Gospel of Luke, 58, Gospel of John, 40. So there are 228 references from the lips of Jesus saying, hey, back in the day, referencing, quoting Old Testament prophets and other verses. That's a lot. And so if Jesus is paying attention to the Old Testament and the teachings and the writings, we ought to as well, because he's just constantly, regularly uh, quoting and referencing Old Testament scripture. But the other reason why we pay attention to the Old Testament is not only is Jesus looking back, but the Old Testament people, the people who have lived long before Jesus, they're looking ahead. And they're referencing to and they're pointing to every book of the Bible from Genesis through Malachi in the Old Testament is looking forward and pointing and anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. The Old Testament is not just a collection of books about God's people but it's God's people looking forward for a savior, a rescuer, someone to come forward. And if you open your eyes more and more as you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you can see Jesus and the anticipation of Jesus in every single story and certainly in every single book of the Old Testament. And so we're going to spend some time uh, this morning in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Everybody there? Did I give you enough time to get there? Awesome. All right. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful new day you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the warmth in this place. We thank you for the warm hearts, warm spirits. But God, most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for sending him into the world and for coming again into our lives each and every day. God, make us open. Make us open to what you want to say to us today through your word, uh, through our meditations. God, may the words of my mouth and all of our meditations be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it is Advent season, of course, and uh, which means we're uh, moving along, uh, preparing and waiting for Christmas. And 
Uh, I know some of you are binge watching uh, Christmas television shows and movies, right? Anybody doing a little bit of binge watching? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a fun way to uh, get us ready, get us prepared into the spirit. I grew up um, in the 1970s and 80s, and some of my earliest memories of preparing for Christmas is right after Thanksgiving, I would get out the TV guide, and I would look through uh, on the appointed day at the appointed time when Charlie Brown's Christmas show was going to come on, right? And then I would have to wait about a week or maybe two weeks. And then whatever day of the week that it was on at the appointed time, I would have to set aside everything else. And that's how we watched TV back then. And you know what, frankly, it was, it was great. It was wonderful because I always have my parents reminding me that at least we got to watch color television, right? And it was pretty neat. I felt very grateful and I thought it was awesome because we, we, we had four channels at our house in the 1970s. ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. And, and the cool thing was if I didn't like what was on a particular station, I could get up off the couch and turn the knob and every now and then you'd get some snow, right, as you're changing the channel and you would just hear a those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, Google it. It's very interesting. <laughs> but we had four options, and it was amazing. And that was kind of growing up in the 70s. I remember uh, 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 in the 1980s, a good friend of our, uh, mine, uh, Dean Poser, his family had all the neat toys and tools and fun stuff. And I remember the day that four grown men carried in this massive large screen TV into the Poser household. And it took four guys and, and they could only put it one place because it was so big. It was probably this big, right? But everything around it was like this big. And they said, and we just thought that was the most amazing thing. But it wasn't just the big screen in the 1980s, but it was also the invention of the VCR. And we didn't have a VCR, but the posers, of course, had a VCR. And I remember watching Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, right? Those were the, the movies that you watched in the 1980s uh, to get ready for Christmas. And... The technology was amazing because they didn't have to get up off the couch. They had one of those clicker things, right? And they could just like go through the channels. It was like, wow, this is so neat. Well, the posers had everything because pretty soon cable television came out. And uh, posers didn't have just uh, four stations they could watch. They now had dozens of channels. And so we all went over to the posers and watched all the stuff that was on cable television. And it was so exciting and wonderful. I'm looking at the young people here, and they're just like, you are so old, right? <laughs> How did you survive childhood? It was amazing. It was awesome. Uh, cable television in the 1980s. Then I remember uh, one of my other neighbors, I don't know his name, but one day a truck pulled up and they, were, they pulled out this giant satellite. It was bigger than our car. And they put it in the yard and it was faced up to the stars and we're thinking, what in the world? Who are those people communicating with? Aliens or what? And, and then we learned that they were watching hundreds of stations uh, on their television. It was so amazing. And, and in other languages, not in just English, but it was just like, wow, we have become so Advanced. The 80s were such an amazing decade for preparing for uh, Christmas and the Christmas shows. 
Well, the 1990s came along, and uh, we wa I watched uh, Christmas Vacation uh, and Home Alone, and those were kind of some of the big shows on the flat screen TVs, and uh, that was pretty neat as well, but uh, after the 1990s uh, were the 2000s, and things got really interesting uh, in, uh, in the 2000s. Uh, we started coming out with not just the, the VHS player, but now it was DVDs. Right, remember that? DVDs, and they were so much smaller, so much fancier, and if you scratched them, you had to throw them away, right? But it was so cool because many of us collected, anybody have a library of DVDs? Yeah, and you would put it in your living room, and it was just like, it was your thing, right? And it was so amazing uh, to watch like Polar Express, um, or some of the other shows from the early 2000s. Come on, help me out. Oh, you oldies. You're a bunch of oldies. Um, Elf. Anybody remember Elf? How could you forget Elf? That was in the early 2000s. And then things continued to advance, right? Um, then we moved on to Blu-ray because uh, DVDs weren't enough. And I mean, honestly, nobody here knows the difference between a Blu-ray and a DVD from a picture standpoint. It all looks the same, right? But, but you could buy a more expensive little disc and put it in and be like, I got Blu-rays, right? And then it was like the, the, the DVD people versus the Blu-ray people and you're trying to keep up. And then, and then you threw out all your DVD collection and you bought all Blu-ray collection, right? And, and then this, and we just, continue to watch movies this way. It was so great. And you would, you would go to the video store and you had a choice, right, between a DVD, a Blu-ray, and for those really old school people, VHS. And you always had to make sure you had the right one at the video store. Well, of course, video stores have largely uh, gone silent in more recent years. Because now, of course, we watch um, Christmas specials uh, through live streaming like Hulu and Netflix and Prime. And uh, it's, it's all become very, very different. And I, I, how many of you guys remember when the movie Frozen came out a couple years ago? Yeah, maybe some of you even still had the Blu-ray of Frozen, but, but then you're like, oh no, I can watch that on streaming now. And then some of you got really excited because you could watch Star Wars, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? All in a row, all through streaming. You don't even have to get up off the couch anymore to go to the video store. You could just sit on your couch with your multiple clickers and watch all the stuff over and over and over. And it was amazing, right? But apparently that wasn't good enough. Because about a month ago, I heard about this, and you probably heard about this too, that uh, Netflix has now announced that you, they will, you can watch a show at 1.5 speed. Did you hear about this? In other words, you can sit down and watch a Christmas show, a 60-minute Christmas show in 40 minutes. Why, right? Why would you want to do that? I thought the whole purpose of sitting and watching a show was to relax, to have some enjoyment, but apparently um, that's not good enough. Now we have to like go through Netflix at 1.5. You can watch your 60-minute show in 40 minutes. You got, right? I don't know, Candy Crush Saga, whatever you got going. <laughs> But now we're after quantity of just moving through these movies faster and faster. And I'm, I'm thinking, my goodness, what is next? Are they just going to put like little screens on our eyeballs? <laughs> and you watch it five, five times as fast, all these movies. Can you imagine watching Elf in, in 10 minutes? Boom, it's done, right? I mean, this, where is this going? Everything is just moving faster and faster and faster. 
And we look back and think, wow, four channels, Charlie Brown Christmas. Wasn't so bad. And that's just television. Everything else is speeding up and moving so fast. It's no wonder we have struggled. We have a hard time today waiting. Everything is at our fingertips. Everything is at our disposal. We don't have to wait for almost anything anymore. We just click a button and there it is. We don't have to be in front of a television. We can just do it right on our phone. You could be watching Charlie Brown Christmas right now on your phone in the middle of the sermon. Location doesn't even matter anymore. We struggle with waiting. We are not a patient people because we want it now. But waiting is a part of what it means to be human. And God's people over and over, it's been a central narrative of God's story of waiting, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to come and rescue again. About 600 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, things were really bad in Israel. God's people had turned their faces away from God and toward the culture. And they started engaging in all the things of the world. I don't know, probably shopping and Christmas cookies and, and stuff like that, right? But they were not paying attention to God. And God said, all right, you can have the consequences of turning your back, of becoming disobedient toward me. And God just said, all right, you're on your own. And when God's people, the Israelites, were on their own, things got really bad. And the Assyrian army is coming after them, and they start to invade the nation of Israel. And God's people got really desperate and really sad, and they cried out to God, God, come save us. Come rescue us again. We need you to come and help us out. And so God sent this prophet, Jeremiah, to come and to bring hope, to bring healing now, Jeremiah, uh, he's known as the weeping prophet because he was so sad. He was so sad at the ways in which God's people had turned their backs on God. And, and it, 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 he, this whole idea of sin and the ways in which it separated uh, God from God's people, it made him so sad. And so uh, if you read the book of Jeremiah, it's kind of a downer. I'm not going to lie. There's just a little warning for you, right? Because he's just lamenting over and over how bad things are. He's lamenting over and over the consequence of sin and the ways in which it has separated God from God's people. So it's filled with lots of, I'll just say it, doom and gloom. If you need a picker-upper, uh, don't read uh, Jeremiah. But in the midst of uh, great sadness and darkness, these little glimpses of light come. Jeremiah 33, the prophet, uh, God speaks through the prophet to give them hope. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And the people are thinking to themselves, we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. In those days and at that time. 
Things were bad. But God says to the prophet Jeremiah, in those days and at that time, better days are coming. Light is up ahead just at the end of the tunnel. Just go around the corner and things are going to get just a little bit better. In fact, they're going to get a lot better. Better days are coming. In those days... You want to put it up there for me, Jamie? No, the, the, the text. Keep, um, keep going. In those days, thank you, and at that time. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about in those days and at that time. The thing is, when I was younger, I didn't understand this so much, but as I've gotten older, I've come to understand and appreciate the importance of timing. And all the guys in the room said, amen, right? Because timing is everything. And you think about uh, just the, the role that timing plays in our everyday lives. Just I'll give you one example. In America today, there are millions of people that play baseball, right? And they all uh, throw the same size ball. And, and, and the pitcher will stand uh, 60 feet and 60 inches on a mound uh, to home plate. That's regulation baseball. But the difference between you uh, playing uh, regulation baseball and someone who makes $27 million on a contract is all about timing. You maybe heard that recently uh, the, the Cy Young uh, Award winner, uh, Jacob deGrom, best pitcher in the National League, plays for the Mets, right? You know how fast Jacob deGrom throws the ball? 84 miles an hour is his average. 84 miles an hour. And I know some of you follow baseball. That is not fast. Jacob deGrom tops out at, tops out at 88. That's not fast. I know high school kids here in Bloomington who throw in the low 90s. But the best pitcher in baseball this year throws 84 miles an hour. What's the difference between, between the two? It's all about timing, right? Jacob deGrom knows how to time the ball. And by the way, he got a $10 million signing bonus just for signing up to play baseball. <laughs> right? And there you are out in the, in the backyard playing baseball with your kids. And most of our kids here in Bloomington Normal will never play professional baseball because they will never grasp and hone the skill of timing. Timing is so important. Timing is, is really valuable uh, when telling a story. I mean, those of you who ever tried to tell a joke before, you know that telling a really funny joke is all about timing. Uh, speaking in front of people, if you don't have your timing right, people are going to fall asleep, right? Timing is so important for bosses, for leaders. Because you can know what to do, uh, uh, and you can do all the right things as a leader in, in a company, but if you do it at the wrong time, it's not going to make any difference. So a leader not only knows what to do, but they know when to do it. And, and as I mentioned before, every guy in this room knows and understands the importance of timing in your relationship with your spouse. Because you can do, you can say all the right things, but if you said it in the wrong time, it doesn't count right? 
For years, I've, I've gathered with a group of guys and we always joke that Valentine's Day is a lose-lose proposition, right? Because they, they, you show up with a, a something and they expect it and so, and, and so you don't get any credit for Valentine's Day, right? You're still at sea level. But then if you don't show up with anything for Valentine's Day, then you're in the doghouse, right? There is just no winning with Valentine's Day. Amen, guys? Yeah, I mean, this uh, so many times, you know, this is where I get myself in the doghouse. I, I do the right thing. I say the right thing. It's just the wrong time. <laughs> Timing is everything. And I think oftentimes we create a lot of stress in our lives, not so much about because what we're doing, because we're not in sync with God's time. We're on a different time level, right? We're, 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 we're paying attention to our time. So this morning, I want to just share with you three quick thoughts about what it means uh, to, to sync up a little bit better with God's timing. God's timing. And I, I want to, so the first one is this. God has a timetable for everything. God has a timetable for everything. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, God has a time for everything. And oftentimes we're only paying attention to our time and our timeline. And we think, well, it's all about what's going on in my life right here, right now. And God really just needs to go a little bit faster. God just needs to show up a, a little quicker, kind of like our, our clickers that we were talking about a little bit ago. Another passage I want to read to you from Galatians. Paul writes this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Paul reminds us that at just the right time, God sent Jesus into the world. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why didn't God send Jesus into the world 500 years before? Why didn't God send Jesus into the world during the time of the Assyrian invasion? Why did God not send Jesus into the world, I don't know, 50 years ago during World War II or something like that? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that God has a time and a season for everything. And it may not line up with your time. It may not sync with your time. Um, great reminder from Scripture over and over and over is that God's timetable is different than your timetable. Every one of us in this room, we, we are finite in time. We have a beginning and we have an ending. Every one of us. God doesn't. Scripture tells us that he existed from eternal past and he will exist into eternal future. In other words, God can go between past, present, and future just like that. He can be at all the places all at once. And you're thinking, how does God do that? I don't know. He's God. And if I could explain it to you, I'd be God. And your head would explode, right? It's like trying to explain the internet or, or cable television to an ant. I mean, God could try and communicate these things to us in terms of his time for everything that's going on in your life, but you'd be like, I don't get it. My brain's too tiny. My brain's too small. 
we have to understand that God's timing is not our timing, and our timing is not God's. God has a timetable, number two. God doesn't tell us the details of his timing in advance. God doesn't tell us the details of his timing in advance. Oftentimes throughout scripture, God says, someday, someday, things are going to get better. Or other times in scripture, God says, okay, it's arrived. Rarely throughout scripture does God say in seven years, in six months, in five days, in four hours. God rarely operates on our timetable like that. He doesn't give us a lot of advanced warning. He just says, someday, be ready. Be ready. It's going to happen. And then it happens, and we're like, oh boy, uh, what do we do now? I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, we all have this fascination with wanting to know the future. And people do all sorts of crazy things to uh, look, at the, look into the future. Tarot cards, uh, palm reading, uh, looking up into the stars and, and, and you know, saying, hey, what's going to happen tomorrow? And, and try to understand all these things. But God doesn't tell us these things. And I think there's a good reason why. I think there's actually several good reasons why God does not give us all the details in advance. I think the first reason is that if you knew what your future was going to be like, you'd be terrified. You don't want to know your future. You would be scared to death, <laughs> right? You, it would overwhelm you. It would absolutely overwhelm you if you knew what your future was going to be like. It would be too much to handle. Last week, and many of you know that uh, Tim uh, Moore and I were in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was really um, fun and exhilarating and thrilling to be a part of this uh, new church plan. By the way, um, we now have a daughter church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I think that is so cool. And, and so we got to just be there among this, this group of people uh, who have not been attending church, uh, some of them for months, some of them for years. And, and we spent about, I don't know, 24 hours with them, Tim. Is that about right? And, and there was just so much excitement and energy, and, and, and they were just thrilled. And, and I got to tell you, they, they would share with us story after story, and they, they would say things like, oh, just everything's falling into place. It just feels like the Holy Spirit is all over this, and, and we just couldn't have you know, planned all this, and, and everything is just boom, 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 and just, just no obstacles. And I want to look them in the face and say, hang on, it's going to get really bad. It's going to get really hard. But I didn't want to be the wet blanket for the weekend, right? But here we are two and a half years down the road. I know what the future of church planning looks like. It's hard. It's difficult. It's messy. It's chaotic. And that would have been a really lousy sermon to preach last weekend. See, I knew, I know what the future is of St. Martin Lutheran Church in Atlanta, Georgia is. But I, I just, it would have blown their mind. It would have ruined their day. And so I just had to listen to them and say, yeah, isn't it great? It's awesome. And pray for them. I, I think that's how God works in our lives. He knows what your future is going to be, but he doesn't tell you what your future is going to be because you couldn't handle it. You wouldn't want to know about it. And oh, by the way, one of the other things from uh, last weekend is a couple weeks ago, we did a video in here uh, sharing the peace of the Lord uh, with the church uh, in Atlanta. Remember that? You, some of you guys were here for that. Here, Jamie, you want to cue that up for us so we can see it? 
You get the idea, right? Now you know what I feel like every week looking at myself. Uh, wasn't that exciting? Wasn't that fun? Yeah, and, 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 and so we brought this video to Atlanta to, to share with the congregation down there. And it was so chaotic, and we tried many, many times uh, to put this video in front of them. Um, but we, just, we ended up just leaving a thumb drive for them because like, oh, watch this on your own time. It was just this chaos and, and, and all that. And, and then we said, hey, if possible, would you uh, shoot a video and send it back to us? And like, oh, yeah, sure, right? We still haven't gotten the video. But birthing a church is kind of like having kids. You pour into them, you pour into them, you dish out money, and you get very little back, right? But in all seriousness, that's a lot what birthing a church is like and planning churches, is we pour in, we pour in, we pour in, and we may not get a whole lot back. That's just the way it is. That's what happens with infants. They're not really capable of doing much other than receiving. And so if you're expecting some kind of something back from the churches that we're planting, it may not happen. And that's okay. I think that's all part of the journey. All right, that was a bit of a tangent. So God doesn't tell us um, the details of his timing in advance. And I think one of the other reasons he doesn't tell us is because if we knew what was going to happen tomorrow, we would change our behavior today. Remember that movie, Back to the Future? Or maybe some of you have watched The Flash. Whenever there's a, a movie you know, that you see about where there's time travel, what do they always do? They always want to go back and change the past to fix the future. And that's exactly what we would do. If we knew it was going to happen tomorrow, we would rewrite history even before it happened. And I think the most important reason why God doesn't tell us the future is because he wants us to trust him today. He wants to look at us and say, I love you. I have your best interest in mind. You don't know what the future is. I do. But I want you to just trust me. I don't know that that's in the Bible, but um, I think those are some reasons why God doesn't tell us uh, the details uh, of his timing in advance. And the last thing uh, I just want to say is that um, God is not in a hurry, and he's never late. God is not in a hurry, and he's never late. God is on a different time schedule than you and I are. And I don't know what's going on in your life right now that you feel like you want God to hurry up and show up. <laughs> he's not in a hurry. You can also bet he's not going to be late. So as we go through life, we wait for Christmas. We wait for God to show up and come to rescue us, to speak to us, to heal us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. He's not in a hurry. He's not going to be late. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful that in just the right time, your time, you sent Jesus into the world. 
And God, we have questions, so many questions about your timing that don't make any sense to us. And so, God, we just walk one day at a time, trusting that you are good, trusting that you are faithful, trusting, Lord, that you will lead us perfectly in your timing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.